0: I'm glad to know that I'm not the only one who I tell people what to do and they do the complete opposite. So I'm in good company because Jesus tells them not to tell about this miracle where he he has given back hearing to this deaf person and recovery from the impediment of speech that he has and uh, I feel as if I'm somehow vindicated. I don't know, I'm, I'm not alone in this. This morning I want you to know you're not alone in all of the things that we're going through There are so many things happening in the world right now, so many top stories that are tragic and all sorts of things, and we've been talking about this, but the Lord keeps bringing me back in the midst of all that we're going through, all that we're experiencing, all we're reading out in the news, all that we're seeing, keeps bringing me back to the interior life of the disciple, to the Christian's call to follow Christ faithfully. And so I'm once again drawn not to the gospel passage I'll leave that to Father Bob. He's the expert on that gospel passage. But I would like to focus you back on that book of James that we just heard. Now, you may or may not know that, that James, that wrote the book of James, was actually the brother of Jesus. Obviously, the half-brother of Jesus. Jesus. Uh, Not the full brother of Jesus because, of course, Jesus was was born of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, as the creed tells us. But James is the half-brother of Jesus. He was the leader of the church in Jerusalem, and he was beheaded, one of the early martyrs of the faith. Not as early as Stephen, but shortly thereafter. James writes this book, and to be honest with you, it's one of those books of the Bible that almost didn't make it in. Um, the reason was because it seemed like it was too Jewish. It would have been. It would have been. Um, it would have been actually Joshua, probably in the. Uh, um, or not James. James would have been. What's the. What's the. Uh, he. He. Jacob. Thank you. It would have been Jacob in the in the original, not James. It was renamed the Book of James in honor of King James of England in the 1600s, which is kind of ironic. But you know when, when. English people think they're at the center of the world, you know, it it's you know, sort of things that like that happen. But it for any matter, the book of James almost didn't make it into the Bible because because um, it seemed like it was too Jewish. It it focused on works and as we all know, that's from the reformation, right? That's that's like the cardinal sin, you know, not we're not we're not saved by our works, we're saved by faith. And so there was a struggle in the, in the dispute, with, and among the, the, the canonization, those that were, that were putting together the scriptures, should this book of James be included? And ultimately it was, and I think by the end you'll see the reason that is true. James belongs in the scriptures. James is a very practical book. He is very to the point. He's prophetic. He's a, a preacher. He's a meddler in our affairs. And also, I want to point out, last thing about James, is that James oftentimes picks up on the very same themes that his half-brother Jesus picks up on. And so if you ever have problems with the book of James, look back particularly to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, and you will see parallels between what James is expounding upon and what our Lord Jesus said in his great Sermon on the Mount. Three things this morning I want to look at from the book of James. Now, I want to, I want to say James kind of just is like a machine gun. He just kind of shoots the stuff out here, pretty rapid fire. He goes from topic to topic. But I see in the, this passage that we've got this morning, there is three things that threaten our faith, our, our, our living faith in Jesus Christ. Three things that James wants to point out. And they begin actually right prior to our verse. James says in verse 16, don't be deceived. And then he says the words that we have here in James 1.17. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be the kind of firstfruits of all of his creatures. The first threat to our living faith in Christ is this, that we would forget that God gives us always his very best. God always gives us his best. And the the opposite of that is the temptation is to doubt that. To look at your circumstances and the worst thing in the world is to look at somebody else and say, man, God, you must love that person much more than me because look what you've given them and look what I have to put up with. To begin to think that somehow God has withheld his best for us, that he in some way is not for us but against us, and that he's actually making life harder for us. That is the worst thing that can happen to our, in our faith life, is to begin to believe that wherever we are, whatever God has put us in, is not his best for us. James is attacking the, in the problem right before our passage where he's saying, don't say that God has tempted you. You see, there were some who would believe that, that somehow God had tempted them, that, that God was trying to tempt people to sin. You, Lord, you set me up for this, and then I gave in, and, but it's your fault, because look what you did to me. And that's a lie, and, and so James wants to dispel that lie and say, don't give up on the fact that God always has your best in mind that he's always giving you his very best in the midst of those things we're going to sing great is thy faithfulness I believe is one of our hymns and I love there's a line in that great is thy faithfulness there is no shadow of turning with thee there is no shadow of turning with thee thou changest not thy compassions they fail not great is thy faithfulness the way James describes it in these verses that you've got there, starting with verse 16 and 17, is to think about God as being the father of light. It's the only place in the New Testament where, it's, where that's used. And it's this idea, it's got to be reflecting back on the cosmos, the stars and the planets. And if you go outside, outside of a city, you see just this cascade of, of, of the cosmos. The, and, and if you study the sky long enough, you realize that the, that the stars and the planets are all moving. They're all, you know, going around the world, right? And and so they're all constantly moving around us and we see them. But in contrast, James says, but God is the constant. God, the father of lights, the one who made that changing universe, that moving universe is the constant. He will not fail you. He changes not. His compassions, they fail not. If we begin to think, that God is not for us, and that somehow he is tempting us or has given us a raw deal or is not in the midst of us, then we will begin to doubt him and we will begin to act out of that doubt. We'll think it's us alone against the world and we'll begin to act out of that. That's the way the world works. If there is no God, Jody and I were talking today and she said something about somebody's attitude and I said, well, they're not a believer and if if you don't believe that there's a God, why not do what she was describing? But if there's a God who has loved us and cares for us and gives us his best and is working through all things, then we can't, we can't allow that thought to take us to a place where we begin to doubt that best for God. Someone has said, actually it's a woman, I think her name is pronounced Simone wheel but it's it's the v and it's german but anyway so it, it was famous thinker of the last century but she said that it, said the, the amazing thing about christianity is not that god gives us an answer to our suffering but that he gives a, a supernatural purpose and redemption in our suffering the lord is able to take even the hardest circumstance and bring about your good in it So it doesn't mean that necessarily everything's going to be lollipops and gumdrops for you, but but that the Lord is always working even in the things that you're suffering through, the hardest things in your life. The Lord has your good in mind. He has your best in mind. And where he's placed you, the things you can't change about your life are the very things that he has foreordained and will work through. So don't give in. Don't begin to doubt. Don't begin to act as if. God is not for you, and so therefore you must take it upon yourself. Verse 18, James says he talks about the word of truth. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be the kind of first fruits of his creatures. One of the problems, the reason why they were debating over include the book of James, is because they didn't understand that where the gospel is embedded throughout this book. And right here is the first point. God says, do you want the prime example? Do you want the the prime reason I would give you for for knowing that God has given us his best? He's unchangeable. There's no shadow within him. Look at the gospel, the word of truth, Jesus Christ. God loved us so much that he went to the cross for our sins, to redeem us from that death and to bring us into his life. If you wanna understand James says the goodness of God the truthfulness that he is for us not against us you need only look to the cross the word of truth and you're going to be challenged college and parenthood and older adult life near the end of your death you're going to be challenged to always to doubt the good news of Christ that Christ has come to redeem the world and us with it don't doubt but only believe. So that's the first of the threats. The second of the threats is this. The second threat is to fail to, to let, the, let God acknowledge, to acknowledge what God is pointing out in your life. And that's where James goes next in verse 19. I'll, I'll explain just a second. Verse 19 through 21. Know this, so you see how he kind of shifts. He goes to something else. Know this, James says. The second thing that threatens our faith is to not acknowledge the things that the Lord is pointing out. A little bit, James will talk about looking at a mirror, looking into a mirror, and then forgetting what you see and going out. There on Saturdays, I don't do much with my hair, and if you I have super straight coarse hair, and if you don't if you don't think that it just goes every which way when 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 I get out of bed, it's crazy. So what I do is I put a hat on. And I go out all day long on Saturday with Jody and I never, and people don't know my crazy hair because I've got a hat on. Occasionally I will get up in the morning and I'll take the dog out and I'll forget that I am decided not to do anything about my my crazy hair and I'll walk down to the mailbox with the dog. Sometimes there are people out walking and running and walking their dogs and I encounter them as if... I'm looking like I should look, but instead I have crazy hair, Alex, and they don't even know it. And James is gonna say that it's like looking in the mirror. You know you got crazy hair, and then you go out and you just totally forget about it. You act with like people and then I come back in the house and look in the mirror and I go, oh my gosh, I cannot believe I just was talking to my neighbor and look at myself. That happens to me all the time. Now Scott just pulls his hair back in a bun, so it doesn't really matter, but I don't have long enough hair to do that. And that and so, but here's the thing, we If we don't acknowledge what the Lord's pointing out, then then we have these blind spots. In the gospel reading today, Jesus heals a, a man who is deaf with a speech impediment. If you think about it, in other places in the scriptures, the Lord is healing blind people or people who are paralyzed or disabled, who can't walk. He's bringing things. But it occurs to me that oftentimes in the Gospels, it's the people that have physically well who are spiritually sick. Bartimaeus, the blind man, knows that Jesus is the Son of God, but all the people who can see are blind to that. Oftentimes, those of us who have a mouth to speak don't use it. Oftentimes those of us who have bodies that are able to go and do things, don't take advantage of them. We're blind, we're deaf, we're mute. We act paralyzed spiritually, although we can see. The Lord wants to acknowledge things and he wants to show you things, not to condemn you or not to make you feel bad about yourself, but that he might bring you out of Illness to wholeness. But we have to acknowledge those things. Be quick to hear. Be quick to hear what the Lord would say to you. Be slow to speak. I took a class for my doctoral program on soul care. And I I took it because I I love the teacher and she entertains me. And if it's a a Zoom call, I want a teacher that's going to really keep me engaged. Because we're talking about a lot of hours. I have a lot of empathy for all the students that are having to do online learning. Because I do this week intensive class in June and January. I didn't expect it to meddle so much in my life, frankly. But it did. It did. And one of the things that that, that we learned in this class is that we are called to be more watchful, more sober-minded, more attentive to our inner person and what the Lord wants to say to us. St. Augustine famously said, grant, Lord, that I may know myself that I may know thee. Grant, Lord, that I might know myself, that I might know thee. You see, there's some place in spirituality and discipleship and stuff, we lost the idea that God has to help us get to know who we are in order that we might truly know him. See, I wasn't a disciple that way. I was taught you need to know the Lord. You need to know about the Lord. You need to study the Lord. And, And that is all true. We do need to know the Lord. But it is in letting the Lord reveal who I am Broken, etc. That I begin to truly understand who He is. But if we're oblivious, if we don't understand who we are, if we're if we're not willing to allow the Lord to show us who we are and where our where our clay feet are, where our shortcomings are, where our blind spots are, it will threaten our faith. I know that seems strange. You seem like, well, I'll just be, I'll be obliviously happy. No, no, you won't be because you won't understand the redemption of our lives through Christ Jesus if we don't understand how great is our sin. You see, we're not convinced that we're that bad. And we are. We are. And sadly, some of the circumstances in the world today are pulling back the blinders they've they've removed the veneer of a stable society and they've revealed for who we are and you need only go to social media and read the horrible things that people say to each other and and it comes from what James would say is this anger that's within us, that's burning within us. And that's what, that's what James is talking about when he says filthiness, rampant, and wickedness. He's really talking about malice there. He's talking about our desire to hurt other people, to do them harm because of the stance they take, or because of what they've said, or because what we think we've, they've done to us. James says, be slow be quick to hear slow to speak and slow to anger for the for the anger of man does not bring about the righteousness of god be really careful if you're going to take the stance that you have a righteous anger be really careful about that i think oftentimes we're unwilling to look at the fallenness and the brokenness of our anger and how we're expressing ourselves and it is not demonstrating the love of Christ, and you're harming the body, and you're harming our witness to the world. This is James, not not Alex, by the way. This is James talking to you. Instead, here comes the gospel again. In 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 response to that, where to where to with meekness, with humility. In a peaceable way, in humility, we are to receive the implanted word of God. Again, the gospel. Who is the implanted word? Ultimately, it's Jesus Christ. It's not something natural. You can't nice your way into Jesus. You have to, you have to bad your way into Jesus. You have to recognize the, the dire need of your life and to quit calling your, your sin righteousness and begin to understand how Christ had to redeem you from the curse of the law. Receive the implanted word. What is the gospel? The world is a mess and we're responsible. But Christ has come to fix it. If you want to read more about the tongue and, and how we have to be careful about what we say, and that's one of the things that James, he'll talk about that in chapter 3. So lots more there if you want to go over and read in chapter 3 about the tongue and how we come from it. Boy, I think this is just one of those things where we've got to recognize the issue of anger. Where is anger coming from? One of the things, that I'm just going to confess, I'm a person who, who grew up angry, and I, I learned it. And, and uh, it served me well until I realized that it was not bringing about God's righteousness. And, and what I learned through counseling and through prayer and through counsel is that often, always, anger is a secondary emotion. There's something behind the anger. And the Lord wants to point to that. Lord, help me to know myself that I might know you. We had to read a book called Try Softer. Oh, my gosh, give me a break. Try Softer. What a stupid title for a book. Boy, it just it read my mail. It was the Lord speaking with a with a with a, a spotlight on my heart to just remind me of the, the ways that I self-protect, the way that I avoid confronting things that I need to confront, because I don't want to destroy my own peace. I don't want to make for trouble. Believe me, I really don't. And it's just weakness, it's cowardice. It's, the worst part was it's, it's, a, it's a type of gluttony because it's, it's feeding on your own desire to have less stress in your life. I don't know if that's making any sense to you, but boy, it spoke to me. And one of the things she talked about is that oftentimes we walk through this life white knuckling thinking that we have to we have to try harder and what the lord wants us to do is not to white knuckle our way through life and not endure things or not overcome obstacles but rather be attentive to what the lord is saying to us where's the anger coming from what's the lie you're believing what's the worst case scenario that you worry will come true And then let the Lord, let the gospel bring healing into that. Do you see how this works? (sighs) Try softer. I'm trying. I'm trying. The last, and then I'm done. The last of the threats to our faith. Here's the last one. The last one comes from verses twenty-two to twenty-three, but really goes all the way to the end to twenty-seven. Failing to act on what we know to do failing to act what we know to do. What will, what will shipwreck your faith is knowing the things that God has called you to do and intentionally ignoring them. Because when we do that, we're self-serving. We're, we're doing what we want to do rather than what Christ wants us to do, and ultimately that's going to bring about our destruction. Disobedience is another way of putting it. James says, don't simply be hearers of the word, but doers. Hearing is good, I need to look in the mirror, but then I can't just go away and forget. And that's actually where he uses this example is is in this third point, which is to, to say that we can't just simply look in the mirror and then go away and forget what we saw. We have to remember that we are called to do something about what we see. Be ye doers of the word. And Again, James will say it, let me read it for you. Verses 22 to 23. But be you doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at at his own natural face in the mirror and then walks away. For he looks at himself and goes away and once forgets what he was like. We can have the intentions, I think the way James always puts this is we're really good at confessing ourselves, but we're not really good in doing something after we confess. I think that's a, a valid way of putting it, that, that, that oftentimes we, we feel bad about what we didn't do, and we get forgiveness, and then we still go away and don't do what we're supposed to do. And then we come back and we feel bad about it, and, and we wonder why we can't get anywhere in our Christian lives. We wonder why our faith is stagnant. Because we live in this pattern of failing to do. Now, two things to observe. One, again, the gospel is brought in. But, verse 25, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty. You see the word law. That's one of the things that got them all upset about law and gospel. But it's the perfect law, the law of liberty. It's the truth path to freedom. Well, this is, again, James drawing us back to Christ, who is the, the path to our freedom. Falling upon him, trying softer, allowing Christ to change us rather than trying to change ourselves. Again, he brings it back. Look to Jesus. And he, I, I love the way he says this. Persevere, being no longer a hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. He will be blessed in his doing. Looking at the law of liberty, Jesus Christ, and persevering to to live a life in obedience to him, God says that will be a blessing to you. That's the path. That's the guide to freedom. Now, if you're not compelled to be a doer of the word, you go, Alex, I'm sorry, but just not motivated here to be a doer of the word. Life's really busy. Essentially, living in a College Town, I have the, the advantage of having people of all ages, and and you know, young people. Uh, this is meddling, but young people who say, "Well, I'm still working on my my career, and so I'm not going to live here long term. So I'm not going to really get involved." And then and then they they get into their career, and then that's their excuse is that they're in their career and they're too busy with their career. And then they get married, and they're too much into their you know, it's like all about their wedding. And then. And then, you know, then they have kids. And then it's all about their kids and raising their kids. And, and you can see just excuses, excuses. And then their kids are going to college. And then they're engaged with their kids in college. And so that becomes the excuse for why they don't do the things they need to do. And then, and then after the kids go to college and get out, then they have grandchildren. And then, of course, grandchildren become the reason why they can't do things. Because they've got to pour into their grandchildren. And then eventually their parents become elderly. And then they have to take care of their parents. So they're not able to do anything. because And then they're too old. And I see every life cycle and how we can easily make the excuses for why we don't do what we need to do. And yet we're called to be doers of the word and not simply hearers. Now I've also seen lots of young people who come to get their graduate degrees and they plug in and they get challenged and they grow up. Kendra Blaker, one of our grad students, working on a PhD who connected with some of our, our ladies into a Bible study and worked with Alpha and and just got married last weekend and a couple of our families went down to be with her. And, I, and I've seen people with young children who found time, people like Danielle shared with you, people who have elderly parents and yet find ways to do things, who are in extremely demanding careers, who have elderly parents to take care of, even folks who are at a place in their lives where I would go, you know what? You could probably take a little bit of a break. And they're still engaged in active ministry. There's always an excuse, but there's always examples of those who push through those excuses and say, no, Lord, I will be a doer of the word and not simply a hearer. Okay, I told myself I wasn't gonna give you that whole tirade but I did so maybe it was for somebody makes me feel better friends we have to be doers of the word what the Lord calls us to do we need to do and I don't know what that is for you and I don't want to be the kind of priest who is constantly trying to guilt you or manipulate you into doing things I want you to do the things that the Lord's calling you to do. But I but I can't get away from this, this scripture. We're to be doers of the word. Now, James goes on and he finishes up here with, with, with talking about um, religion. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his own tongue, but he deceives his heart. So again, he hits one more thing. John, James likes to talk about the tongue. He, he, he's aware of how our tongue is so useful in either good or bad. But he talks about religion. He mentions the word three times. This person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. It's interesting, I hear a lot of people not a lot of people, some people who will say, I'm 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 not into religion. You know, you get this, I'm not into religion, but I'm, you know, it's like and there are a lot of people who Sometimes preachers or teachers or people on, on TV or social media will talk about being non-religious and stuff. All the word religion here in the Greek means is just someone who worships a God. It's just the, the, what you're doing here is, is religious. You're, it's, a, it's a practice of, of worshiping God. I mean, it, religion is not bad. I think probably what they have the harder problem with is those who, who claim to worship God, who come to religious services, and yet walk out the door and don't do anything about it. That's the hearer of the word, and not the doer of the word. But to be religious is not a bad thing. And I'm going to try to re, re kind of re, re, you know, re recycle that word. I, I'm religious. I mean, you know, right? I'm ordained. I've got to be religious, but but not just because I I I wanted. You know, worshiping God is a good thing. And, and, and having practices of piety that, that help me to worship God are good things. But it should result in action. And that's James' point. Obedience is the evidence of our faith. If there's no fruit from what we say we believe, then our belief is in vain. Vain. Two things, and then I'm, James says, we should have actual, actual love action towards those most vulnerable. In the first century, it was orphans and widows still need our attention, but I don't think we limit it just to those two categories. We, we, we extend that to those who are marginalized, those who are vulnerable. We are to have loving actions towards those who most need us. And we're to stay unstained from the world. Now, that I don't believe primarily is about just not doing what the world does or staying a distance from the world, but rather not becoming like the world. It's in a sense the very things that Paul says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed to the world. You can't get out of the world, but you can you not conform to its pattern. And Jesus said the very same thing. You are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. So the result of our living unstained by the world is that there's a distinctness for us. That the way we interact should be different and should, we should draw people's attention to that. And that's going to mean paying attention to what we do and how we say and, and all those things. But it, but it comes back to this, this call to, to not fail to do what the Lord calls us to do. Well, how do we accomplish this? How do we possibly learn these three things? To to, to believe that God is giving us his best, to to not fail to, to acknowledge the things that he's pointing out and to not fail to do the things that he calls us to do. Well, the best, most practical way I've found is to live in Christian community. Because in Christian community, I'm challenged not to believe lies and doubt. In Christian community, I'm challenged not to just avoid the things that are problems because oftentimes the people that I'm in community with will point out the things that I need to allow Jesus to heal in me. And it is in Christian community that I am compelled to do the things that God calls me to do. I'm only in Gainesville because a member of a small group said, you know, you got that invitation from Gainesville and you you ought not just say no you ought to pray about it here I am 20 years later church I want to encourage you keep watch over your soul don't believe the lie that God has somehow given you less than his best that he's not working out your circumstance to his glory be strengthened in your faith God is for you and he will give you the strength to know who you truly are and then change you and then use you, work through you to bring about his glory. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.